0: Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat Podcast. We are solution architects and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode,
1: we dive deep, demystify technology and talk about the latest and most interesting technical development in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup
0: and deep tech dives in topics of interest.
1: Uh, Hi, everyone. My name is Shai Perenik, and this is episode 81 of the AWS Tech Chat podcast. Uh, And for today's show, I'm joined by Pallavi Nargund, uh, my local go-to person for anything big data, AI and ML. Um, So I'm super excited to have her here uh, and join us for today's show. Uh, This is our fourth and final installment of the reInvent updates. reInvent 2020 uh, had a dedicated AI ML keynote. So we've decided to continue that here with a dedicated Tech Chat show. Um, and don't worry, Shane's still here. He's just operating the control board for today um, as he's buried in the those hundreds of IoT devices he has in his house, uh, and he's updating them all to use uh, MQTT. So, Pallavi, welcome to the show. For listeners who joined us for episode 76, you'll remember that uh, Shane had asked me to sing a song. Uh, I didn't oblige, uh, so I won't uh, ask you to do that here. Uh, don't worry about that, but maybe in the future. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your background and the customers that you help, um, and of course, you can sing if you'd like to.
0: Oh God, no, I'll pass on the singing for sure. Um, I won't put our audience through that audio. My dog, he's the only patient one who can hear bear me sing a, a song. So, <laughs> well, let me uh, say hello to everyone first. Hello, everyone. My name is Pallavi Nargun. I'm a solutions architect here at AWS. As in my primary role, uh, I work with customers who are basically new to their cloud journey or new to AWS in general. So kind of uh, get the, get them started with AWS and help them get more accustomed to AWS environment and services, as well as uh, how we can uh, migrate the workload to AWS. Now, um, AIML is it's sort of my passion, and that's why I'm here to talk about the recent AIML announcements, and I'm quite excited to be here, Shai. Thank you.
1: Yeah, that's why I asked you to join us today, because I, I know yeah. your, your love and passion of AIML is only... Close to rival my passionate love for storage, uh, so it should be a fun session. <laughs> thanks for sharing that, Pallavi. Uh, again, I'm super excited to have you here. You know, We, we talk about AI ML all the time. You help me a lot, so really excited to have you join us on the show today. Um, let's jump right into it. I think this first one's going to be really appealing to any of our customers that have um, any kind of health data, um, so why don't you go ahead and kick us off?
0: Sure. Uh, thanks, Shah. So I'm very excited about um, Amazon HealthLag. Over the past few years, we have seen, I mean, whenever you go to the doctor's office nowadays, there's always some sort of uh, the doctors, uh, either the nurses or the doctors, they're capturing your data on some, uh, they're always capturing more information about you, they're taking notes. And even when you have insurance notes, a lot of those uh, aspects are being uh, digitized now. So we have seen that uh, there is a data in different formats that the healthcare organizations are processing. Now, all this data that you see is sort of in text format, what we call it unstructured format. And to kind of get some insight into what exactly is happening with that unstructured data, it's a quite complex process. It takes a lot of time to process unstructured data. So that's where Amazon HealthLake comes into picture. Now, HealthLake is essentially allows healthcare and life sciences customers to um, aggregate the data from these different uh, sources and format into a centralized um, AWS data lake. And this is a HIPAA eligible service, which is a huge deal for um, healthcare and uh, life sciences customers, because they're very conscious of the security. They have to be. Uh, they have to abide by the HIPAA compliance services. The important aspect as part of this uh, service is the data that that is ingested, um, that is stored in the fire compliant format.
1: So, Pallavi, i'm I'm going to stop you for a second because there was two points that you called out that I, I want to dive into a little deeper, right? Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the health lake is, is HIPAA compliant. Is that really the kind of the the big differentiator from the the normal lake formation or building a normal data lake? Is that is that why you think somebody would use Health lake because of that compliance?
0: I mean, uh, it certainly gives that uh, additional advantage that the compliance aspect uh, is inbuilt into the service. Uh, but there are a number of different advantages, and the fire uh, interoperability is a huge advantage.
1: Yeah. So help me, help me out with that one because I want to stop you because you're, you're saying yes. fire, and I, I think of you know fire outside, of, you know, upset of snow because it's freezing outside. Uh, but I think that's f. <laughs> I think you're, you're saying FHIR, right? That's not, not the right. F-I-R-E. So can you help me a little bit understand what that is and as well for some of our listeners that might not know what it is either?
0: Uh, so the FHIR is, uh, that is F-H-I-R. You're right about that. So this is a fast uh, healthcare interoperability resource. So this is an open standard where uh, pharma companies uh, use this to exchange their data and many pharma companies are adopting to it. I just wanted to put in some sort of perspective here. So the way it works is, um, uh, first of all, uh, you will ingest uh, the unstructured data like doctor's notes, whether it's prescriptions, if you have lab reports, or uh, any such sort of uh, text that is associated with a patient record. That is ingested into HealthLeg, and then we use the Natural Language Processing to extract meaningful information from this unstructured data, such as what sort of medication you are taking, you know, what are your test results, are there any uh, things, any spikes that you're seeing? So so this data, once you get some meaningful information, this data then is indexed so that it can be easily read and searched upon. In order to do so, we have some pre-built models um, that are used uh, and then Even on top of those, let's say you extract this information, what you can do is actually you can put even Amazon SageMaker to work on top of this structured data. So you can even generate some sort of advanced analytics. You can have some sort of early warning predictor indicators for health research, science, etc. So there are a number of adoptions that one can have uh, once you start extracting this information, the more insight into patient's record.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty cool, right? The, the whole idea that you can sort of predict, right, uh, any kind of health data, I think is, is going to be pretty powerful, right? For me, I spend a lot of time with doctors and just the idea that you're gonna be able to predict something ahead of time is, is pretty amazing. The, the fact that I think it can even analyze doctor's notes or read doctor's notes, I think is impressive as well. Uh, we all know. We yeah. all know uh, some of this scribble that we've seen there. Um, yep. You know, so I, I love hearing this stuff. Um, you know, what what are what do you think? There's some other use cases, right? Is there any other kind of use cases you think that that are going to be really exciting here?
0: Yes, certainly. So, I mean, apart from just giving those early warning signs of some sort of disease, it's a. Uh, uh, there are a lot of other adoptions of this particular uh, health lake uh, primarily you can think about you know when especially clinical trials is an important aspect of uh, any um, yes, drug especially now right yep so matching patients to clinical trials is a huge task that the companies have to go through. So uh, HealthLake can uh, help uh, into those use cases, as well as, you know, analyzing population uh, health trends, especially in these times when um, what we have seen in last year with COVID-19, uh, these sort of use cases and having this technology at your fingertips is going to be huge advantage. One thing HealthClick is still in preview so you're welcome to join health Click, uh, uh, preview all you have to do is just log in into aws uh, services and have your uh, just register your account
1: so sign up for the preview and then after you sign up for the preview then let us know if you've come up with a cool yep. use case for it <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah we surely would like to hear from you
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so let's jump in the next one i think we're going to talk about kendra a little bit here um so kendra was launched actually um, a little over a year ago i believe um, it's an intelligence search service um, and it's powered by machine learning um, i've used it myself uh, just in kind of ingesting some of the documents i've had some faqs just testing stuff that i've uh, i've played with and to help me find information and um, in some of my documentation uh, but i've also used it with one of my customers where they they loaded up some of their internal documentation that they had but one of their biggest challenges was connecting to external data sources so i think this one's going to really be a big deal so h- how do you see these connectors uh, helping our customers palavi
0: So uh, first of all, I'm a huge fan of Kendra. Uh, So Amazon Kendra is, I've discussed this with a lot of my customers. So whenever I talk to my customers about AI ML stack, Kendra is always a topic for discussion. So the connectors really offer you uh, different ways to connect to external data sources, such as, um, of course, you can connect to S3, but other data sources such as SharePoint, if you have your data in Salesforce or ServiceNow. So what happens is once you are basically um, connecting to your data source using these connectors, you don't have to go through the process of extracting the data storing it and you know uh, batching it up again and going through the entire process again so you have fast access to the content that is sitting uh, with these particular data repositories so now with recent reinvents and announcement uh, we have announced a connector for google drive We all know that, you know, a lot of companies have, uh, uh, they manage their content in Google Docs and Slides. So that will certainly, uh, Kendra can certainly now with the connector, can extract that information directly from Google Drives and Slides.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one because one of the customers I have is they have a huge trove of data, I think a couple hundred terabytes uh, of data that's just sitting in their Google Drive uh, that they've collected in there. So this is going to be a a huge benefit to them, right? There's, There's FAQs in there. Um, There's policy documents, internal documentation, so much different kinds of of material that they've collected over the last, I think, 15 or 20 years they've been in business. So it's gonna be awesome to see them going through all that data. I think they're really gonna enjoy it. Um, Particularly, I think it's gonna allow them to search um, all that data with Kendra, um, in addition to the data that they've built up in their existing AWS account. But what about non-Google Drive? Uh, are Are there any new connectors for those?
0: Yeah, so we have actually a Kendra connector library itself. So there are a number of, uh, first of all, number of connectors that are uh, already uh, natively Kendra connects to. I think I listed a few of them already here. OneDrive, Microsoft OneDrive is also one of the uh, data repositories that you can use Kendra to connect. But apart from that also, you can uh, come up with a custom data connector. Um, uh, so all you have to do is you have to kind of leverage the APIs, Kendra APIs, and then you have to just um, uh, use the SDKs to uh, publish your code. Now, there are some partner-developed connectors as well. Just to give you a few examples, uh, we have um, uh, Confluence and Jira are quite popular tools that organizations are adopting. So we do have, um, our partners have already developed these connectors, which you can bring in. So the bottom line is, you know, um, it just if you have a data repository, if the connector doesn't exist today, go look up the, either in the partner connector library or you can even um, uh, use a custom data. You can develop your own connector using the underlying Kendra APIs. Yeah, so another important announcement that I would like to highlight, especially with respect to Kendra, is the in- in incremental learning. And so what uh, what it means is we are going to uh, so underneath Kendra is going to learn from the pattern the search, the users are using to search the results. So that what uh, so it's continuously optimizing search results based on um, uh, what sort of uh, different keywords the users are using or different phrases they are using, and um, uh, it's important that uh, when you are seeing a pattern and where users are clicking on that information, you re-rank the information based on how users have previously interacted with that uh, sort of content. So uh, you want to present the most commonly sought content first rather than just showing things randomly. So. Reranking the information, the search results, is a huge productivity gain uh, from um, the search results perspective. And I really uh, like the fact that we have launched this incremental learning now.
1: So, Pallavi, thanks, thanks for, for explaining that, um, you know, kind of talking about incremental learning. But but help me understand why why is it important that we continue to do that ranking, right? Why, why can't you just set it once, do the ranking, you know, maybe one time? Why do you have to keep coming back to it? I, I, I get that. So it's the important results are on top but is there other reasons?
0: Yeah, because the users are not going to have a set pattern, right? They're going to change the keywords. They're going to uh, use uh, different keywords. I mean, I can ask you the same question. Uh, hey, shy, what's the weather today? Or is yeah. it going to snow today? Or is it, uh, is it sunny today? So there could be different ways that I could be asking the same question. So the intent may be, uh, uh, the phrases will be different, but the intent is same. So the the idea is to underlying identify what that intent is and then apply incremental learning on it
1: yeah i think that's particularly key when you're when you're talking about you know business processes or, or business challenges things that businesses do right there's always that internal vocabulary that's unique to that organization right and um, even though the documentation might show something the way somebody asks might change over time too right yep so that's a good point there so Pallavi, we, we on uh, episode 80 we actually talked a lot about iot um, however, I actually intentionally left out Panorama uh, because I wanted to cover it here with you today because I, I thought it really relates more to AI ML and I wanted to give the AI ML side of it more, more attention. Um, so in preview, Panorama is a new service that we launched at reInvent 2020. Um, it, the goal is to bring computer vision to the edge. Uh, what does this mean? You know, let's say you have um, existing cameras in the warehouse, maybe it's in the office, uh, in your plant floor, um, and you want to add some smarts to those cameras. Um, this is one way to do that. Uh, Panorama comes as a hardware appliance. Um, you'll install that appliance on your network to connect to the existing cameras that you have in the facility. Um, you do have to keep in mind that those cameras do have to support the real-time streaming protocol. Um, and you'll need to just dis- you'll need to, you'll need a display uh, so that you can see the sample output that's coming out of the appliance. Um, and then you'll also need a USB drive for transferring any data to and from the device. Um, the smarts and the computer vision will help accomplish uh, tasks like evaluating manufacturing quality. Uh, finding bottlenecks in industrial processes, uh, or counting patrons in a retail store, even in environments where the limited where there's limited internet connectivity. Uh, there's also a third-party device SDK, um, so it's going to allow manufacturers to run sophisticated computer vision models on their cameras, um, allowing hardware vendors to build new services uh, that are enhanced with computer vision for object detection or activity recognition. So I want to go a little more into the hood here. What's what's actually going on here? Can you can you help us dive into that, Pallavi?
0: Uh, sure. So, uh, you know, for, uh, I mean, we have had other uh, ways of doing the same thing. We have had, uh, for years, we have had um, uh, recognition and our customers have used it in all sort of similar use cases for this. But what happens is, um, uh, this uh, with Panorama, this it takes and brings it to the edge by running those same computer vision models uh, that we have seen uh, in recognition and in other systems to the edge and um, this really helps alleviate uh, some of the challenges that the customers have first of all um, uh, having the cameras in a store or in warehouse is not something new there have been cameras in place for a long time so sometimes what happens these are legacy systems uh, legacy cameras and they may not be uh, adequate or they may not have sufficient bandwidth to try to send that data to the cloud either that the camera is, itself is not equipped or um it could be the intermittent uh, connectivity issues that the, uh, that the particular facility face faces in those cases for these customers to enable first of all um computer vision and at edge panorama really uh, helps different use cases in the local setting
1: yeah so when we when we talk about edge i think it's it's common you know vocabulary for us but but you know we should kind of clarify yeah. right so when when you say edge you're, you're talking about the compute and all that sort of machine learning stuff happening at the local site itself, right? So that data never has to traverse the, you know, the public internet or even a private tunnel um, and then get processed, you know, by AWS services uh, in the cloud, right? Instead, it's getting processed locally on their site. Um, so I think that's that's hugely powerful, right? I mean, I, I'm in PA, right? You're, you're New Jersey, right? We have lots of rural areas around us, right? There's lots of limited connectivity. Um, so I think there's there's a huge potential there. So I want to talk about sort of the, you know, the the... The, the, the actual setup process, right? Like how do you actually set up the device and go through that? Um, so we'll, we'll use one of my customers as an example, right? I, I have a, a customer, it's a very sort of traditional retail manufacturing type of company. Um, you know, they have a, a warehouse, right? So we walk into that warehouse, um, they have existing CCTV cameras today, right? We, we've confirmed that they have that their, their, their camera support, that real-time streaming protocol. Um, their main goal, right, in their case is they want to count the people in the warehouse because for them, they can only, especially now, given the times, but but even during normal times, their safety requirements or, or regulations um, only allow them to have a certain amount of people in, in different parts of the warehouse. So that's really the their specific use case. Can you help me understand about how that would work?
0: Sure, and um, so uh, so first of all, Panorama is nothing but an appliance, right? So what you're going to have is you're going to get this appliance, and um, you will set up. Uh, so you will set up the cameras that you have in Panorama. So the service can uh, invoke an auto search on these cameras on prem and um, or you can provide even the some of the ip based cameras you can even paste uh, uh, provide the ip address so once you have done that setup uh, you initially can start with a small um, a small sample learning model as well as any application code and then we do have a github repository where you can find many of these use cases as well for example, some of these that you mentioned, Shy, about people counting in a facility. It could be in a facility, it could be at a checkout uh, line, or um, if you want to detect uh, any uh, spill on the, whether it's a warehouse floor or within a store, et cetera. So there are many popular use cases that are already uh, available that are um, uh, part of the GitHub repository, the, which you can actually download uh, and start working with them.
1: So I think that's like a... a really cool use case i think that sometimes people might not realize right the fact that you can you can detect a spill right but you can also detect people you know where they are right so imagine like a a warehouse floor so the way that i'm thinking about this you could and tell me if this is true or not but you could you'll see that there's an oil spill somewhere you know on on lane four or whatever in the warehouse and you'll see that there's people on, on lane three and people on lane five and you can see that they're coming towards the spill so in theory you could let them continue working on three and five and you only have to warn them when they're coming towards the spill right you don't have to yeah. sort of preemptively yeah. warn them. Now, I mean, you can preemptively warn the you know safety crew to go start doing the cleanup. But I think that's mm-hmm. pretty cool that you can continue allowing people in other parts of the warehouse to continue working if they're not immediately Im- impacted by that situation.
0: Yep. I mean, you can avoid certain things that, you know, uh, if there is a, a, a coffee spill, which is quite common in the stores that we have seen and somebody slipping on that and kind of getting hurt uh, uh, so there are uh, some uh, uh, s- certain use cases with respect to that you, let's say you have a, a large distribution facility there's something on the floor that's going to that's going to come in the way of maybe you have some automated either robots or um, vehicles that are traveling in and out so it, it gives you that uh, ability to give those alerts warnings and avoid unnecessary incidents i would say that interrupts your work yeah that's
1: that's Pretty cool stuff. So, all right. So that was Panorama. I think we we went to quite a bit detail there. Again, if you you interested in more detail, check out the product page. I, I think lots of cool stuff to come there. So now let's let's talk about SageMaker. Uh, for those who are not familiar with SageMaker, it's a fully managed service. It removes the heavy lifting from each of the steps of machine learning. Uh, it's going to help you build and train your train and deploy your models uh, quicker. Uh, it's going to bring a lot of tools together, as uh, for example, an IDE, um, a debugger. Uh, It allows you to deploy your models, monitor your models, uh, profile the models, all within that single environment. You have the flexibility of using automated machine learning um, or use any component uh, as a modular capability. Uh, At reInvent, we introduced many new features and capabilities for SageMaker. uh, So let's highlight some of those key announcements.
0: Sure, and uh, SageMaker is the most favorite service out of AWS <laughs> services. That's how I actually I got started on AWS. There's a funny story about it. Uh, maybe I'll save it for some other so time. This,
1: this is this is your but... this is your storage. So I, I yes, I, I've, I've been This is before. my storage. <laughs> so I'm gonna True. I'm gonna play the the police officer here and, and uh, wrangle you back in when you when you get out of hand with, with SageMaker. Uh,
0: it's funny you mentioned wrangle, and then um, we'll start. Right there. So first of all, um, uh, I, I mean, machine learning is a complex process, right? I mean, um, is lot, lot of a uh, lot goes into a typical machine learning uh, when you train a model, um, and the initial step is data collection. So it's always important what sort of data you collect, and then how do you transform it. So how do you understand the data? Uh, how do you transform it? How do you understand the different features and identify which ones are more important for you? So this is what typically a data um, collection, uh, exploration and transformation uh, phases. Now, majority of the times, and I mean, I, I talk to many customers and they always say that, you know, they're at least 70 to 80% of their time goes in these data preparation tasks. So this is where, I mean, we have been listening to our customers and their challenges, and this is where we have introduced a couple of services uh, around this particular uh, data collection phase. Now, um, we have introduced what's called uh, SageMaker Data Wrangler, and this is really a way to kind of prep your uh, machine learning data much faster. For some of you must have heard, we have also introduced Amazon Glue Data Brew. Now, there are many similarities between uh, Data Wrangler and Data Brew. I know we use a lot of data uh, uh, keywords in our services, (laughs) so just bear with me for a minute there. Uh, But Data Wrangler uh, lives in SageMaker. So if you're looking at ETL processes or if you're looking at, you know, uh, connecting to various data sources and then first doing ETL processes, Data Brew is your choice. But let's say you have decided you have some sort of data that is already um, uh, available to you, and now you are looking to integrate that with uh, your machine learning process. That's when you use the Data Wrangler. Now, what Data Wrangler does provides a 300 plus pre-configured data transformers that are written in uh, PySpark and PySpark SQL so that that comes as a huge advantage because you already have these um uh, you don't have to write code for it these are already available for you and uh, since you are in a jupyter lab environment setup uh, you can actually uh, with data wrangler you can build analysis explore that particular data and even build certain uh, visualizations because it's and use the jupyter lab extensions there are many popular jupyter lab extensions that the data scientists use today Another advantage, what I really like about this, about Data Wrangler is you can export that code into native Python. So you can even export that, you can, it it can give you like a quick starter, quick start to uh, getting your transformations and then you can customize on top of it. And then this can actually integrate with other, you know, when you are trying to establish, uh, let's say when you want to streamline your processes, this code can be ingested directly into the pipeline. Another advantage of Data Wrangler is, first, is it can integrate uh, with different data sources such as Amazon Athena. You can integrate it with Redshift, uh, AWS Lake Formation, and S3. And even there is a new feature called uh, Amazon Feature Store, so you can integrate with that as well. And the advantage of this is, you know, uh, what happens is um, typically in organizations, you have a lot of compliance requirements. So anytime when you want to get the data extracted out of your data repository, that time it is, you have to go through a bunch of compliance approvals, etc. But think about this as with Data Wrangler, you can first look into your data, see about what sort of features interest you, what sort of data do you want, or what sort of data is available to you, and then you can do the data exploration, visualization in place. So you're not extracting the data into SageMaker at that point in time. You're just doing your data exploration, figure out what you want, write the custom transformers, and then bring the data in. I've been talking to a number of customers about this, and they're excited about this uh, aspect of it because today they spend a a lot of amount of time in getting the necessary approvals to extract the data. So I feel this is... um, an advantage when it comes to such customers that, you know, when there are certain strict regulation and they sh- it should be there. So in those cases, it gives data scientists a quick way to inspect the data and then, you know, gain efficiencies, produce the go-to-market models much faster.
1: So, Pavia, I'm, I'm curious, right? There, there's a lot of stuff there and I want to try to break that down a bit, right? So mm-hmm. if, if you're working as a, a data scientist, you know, or, or machine learning scientist in, in an organization, right? It sounds like the, the, a lot of your time is possibly spent in just data preparation, uh, data analysis, right? Just experts trying to understand that data, you know, and, and I think that can be pretty time consuming, right? The, a lot of times, I know some of the projects that we've worked on before, right? When we've looked at, at data, um, you know, data set, we'll see, you know, da- diff- disparate data in different data sources, right? That The, the data don't quite match up right. Can you help me understand particularly, like, if this, where do you think this is gonna solve sort of that one pain point that you have? Like what's been your biggest frustration that you think that this is gonna help you solve?
0: I mean, the biggest, so first of all, um, the data scientists, I mean, uh, this is a common complaint that I have seen and I have uh, experienced it firsthand is getting the access to the data is not easy. In large organizations, especially when there are certain regulatory standards that you have to follow, Getting the approvals necessary to even inspect certain data set or get the data extracted out of the data set and store it somewhere else, such as your data set may be sitting in your data warehouse or maybe it is sitting in the relational database. Now, getting that extracted and stored it in a, on a local drive or in our case, it's going to be in S3. There still needs to be those certain security checks um, that need to pass, making sure the underlying storage is compliant. So in that, you spend a lot of time.
1: Yeah, maybe just getting approval sometimes, right? Just internal approvals.
0: And then you inspect the data and then you figure out this is not the data you want or maybe (laughs) some of it is useful and some of it is not useful.
1: So you have to go back and start again.
0: <laughs> yep. And then you start the whole process again. So it's quite a lot of challenge. And um, th- that's what we are trying to actually address here.
1: Yeah. So hopefully by being able to visualize that data before you've ever extracted it out of that environment, before you even pulled it out of there, you can better understand, okay, this is the data that I want. Now you've isolated that. Now you can then go through your approvals with that very specific honed in data set. So perfect mm-hmm. segue into the next announcement, which is the SageMaker Feature Store presents relevant attributes or properties that you your model uses for training to make predictions you can securely store discover and share those features uh, so you don't have to recreate the same features for different machine learning applications Uh, this will save months of development effort and you can you can store those features visually search them uh, and collaborate with other members in the organization Um, data can can arrive from streaming or batch sources and one once processed um, can be ingested into the feature store Um, Palavi, can you help us dive into this more and understand a bit better
0: Yeah, I I know we talked about Data Wrangler, but Feature Stores, again, is a very important concept. So what happens is prior to using Feature Stores, uh, typically data scientists will load the data set and they'll run transformation on the data set. They'll identify identify the attributes that are important for the predictions and they'll run the transformations and then set up um, the features for ingestion. Now this tab, it's not one step process. There are a lot of variations to it and it's highly dependent on the data that is coming in. So the, and then we saw that the accurate, first of all, the accuracy of your ML model is dependent on these data sets. So if these data sets and the features are not good, the ML uh, uh, predictions is not going to be where you want them to be. We always say IT world, garbage in, garbage out, your uh, predictions or your output is as good as your incoming data. Feature engineering is uh, is an important step in machine learning process. These are even across within the teams also. There are different teams working on different machine learning segments and they might be consuming the similar data attributes, similar data features, and they are kind of going through the same process. So um, it's it's multiple teams reinventing the wheel in certain cases, you're not potentially standardizing them. So that's where Amazon SageMaker Feature Store comes into picture. So it's a feature store is a purpose built repository where you can store these features and access these features, it's so much easier to uh, name and organize and can reuse them across teams. So um, it's, it's your single source of truth when it comes to features. So Feature Store keeps track of the metadata of the stored features. For example, you know, what is the feature number you can version them. For example, if there is, let's say certain format has changed and you're now uh, you're redoing your uh, feature engineering or you're, you're applying new transformations. Uh, in those cases, you can even version them. So, you know, you know, when you trained models earlier, you use this particular version of the feature versus now which one is available. So you can query these features. You can get the right attributes in back or in real time and get that uh, ML accuracy or uh, improve the efficiency into the entire ML process, uh, as well as, you know, uh, gain better accuracy that you're looking for. So that's where it really comes into, uh, a feature store comes into picture.
1: So you've you said feature a couple of times and, and I wanna help, you know, m- myself and also some of the audience, you know, understand when you're talking about features, right? What does that mean to you as, as a data scientist, right? Why is it so important that you identify these features? Um, and, and what right. let's start off with you know what have, what even what even is a feature?
0: Yeah, so the feature is a data used as an input signal to a predictive model. So basically, um, uh, for example, uh, if let's say I'm a bank, right, and I want to make sure that uh, I want to track, uh, uh, there are certain campaigns that I'd set out, and I want to see uh, which customers are responding to that campaign and who are going to be able to open an account with my bank. So uh, but the purpose of sending campaign was I wanted to attract more customers to open account with the bank. If we collect the data, how many customers we sent that information to and how many customers opened the account with me, probably the phone number of a customer or a name of a customer is not going to impact um, the outcome. But what will impact is whether the person is employed or uh, maybe with the age of the person, if they're like, you know, if they're a student, if they're um, already working. So these are the data attributes that will be more important uh, for me to predict whether that customer is going to open the bank account or no. So um, in those cases, um, the age of the customer or uh, customer's employment history or annual income will be my features that I I will be interested in. And not so much on the name or the phone number. So
1: a simple example, I I, I can think of too. Right, if you're if you're a, a shovel manufacturer and you make shovels and that's all you do, right? The a, a key feature you might be that's important to you in your data set might be people's zip codes, because that that zip code is going to tell you, you know, whether they're in a a snow populous area, or they're more desert area, right? So that that zip code is the key feature, um, and you you probably don't care about other things like maybe their age because. Maybe that doesn't impact what kind of shovel that they buy, or, you know, maybe it does. Um,
0: yeah, or maybe the color they like. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, d- different features are, are key to different industries, right? Depending on the industry that you're in, you know, that's going to depend on what what features are key for you in your data set. Thanks for explaining that, Palavi.
0: Absolutely. So we talked about Feature Store and we talked about Data Wrangler, and these are uh, important uh, SageMaker features to help in your data preparation. Now, another aspect of data preparation where uh, the data scientists worry about is bias, right? So essentially what bias is, um, is a source of uh, error in your model uh, that causes it to either overgeneralize the uh, data set or even underfit the data set.
1: So Pahlavi, can can you help me understand a little bit better about bias? Particularly, you know, when you say overgeneralize, right, or underfit the data, right, to me that, that kind of says that the the data really doesn't make sense or maybe doesn't fit at all or maybe the data Mm -hmm. sort of caused the model to, you know, maybe your model was was accurate before and now the model no longer makes sense and it's no longer accurate. Is that what you mean by bias?
0: Yeah, so um, I can get you a couple of examples. So sometimes let's say you're using popular voice recognition systems, right? And um, if you have an accent or you use a certain word in a different um, dialect, uh, in those cases, it's not going to pick up Uh, right away because it doesn't have, uh, when it was being trained to understand different words, that particular uh, data set was not available during training for it to learn from that. So um, that's one example, or let's say I'm looking to develop new course content, for example, right? I only survey certain people uh, or maybe IT professionals who are going to be heavily leaning towards the new course content that they would like to see is going to be in terms of technology. But when I launch that as a uh, offering to a general public, I'm not going to get that good response or I never surveyed enough people, the non-technical people also, to see what kind of um, content or what, what what kind of new uh, learning material that they would like to see. So. In that cases, the non-technical folks were uh, underrepresented where the technical folks influenced that particular data set. So that's going to impact into, let's say, what kind of um, content people would like to read or what kind of a uh, new learning material they're interested in. So it, that's what I mean by bias. I'm introducing a bias by not having a right, um, a right representation across different categories. And that does impact your uh, machine learning model accuracy.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. Thanks for explaining that. So, so let's jump into to clarify a little bit here, because you were talking before there and, I, and kind of injected. So, what do you think Clarify is gonna is gonna help with here, particularly?
0: Yeah. So the, uh, where Clarify comes into picture is um, it helps uh, improve your machine learning uh, models by detecting potential bias across machine learning workflow. Now, you will see uh, Clarify being part of machine uh, different steps in machine learning. Uh, in this case, since we are talking about data preparation phase, you can detect the bias in the data set using sagemaker clarify so the important aspect of it is in the data preps uh, in the data preparation step by using feature store by using data Wrangler and by using Amazon uh, the sagemaker clarify you're trying to uh, make sure that the data set that you are you going to use for training your models uh, is going to be um, as I don't want to say as good as possible but as best as possible that you can um, curate.
1: All right, so let's uh, let's move on to the next one here. So while we're on the subject of, of model monitoring, um, along with bias detection, uh, we've launched additional capabilities into model monitoring where you can detect uh, drift in model quality and feature importance. Uh, with model quantity monitoring, you can monitor model characteristics uh, such as precision, accuracy, recall, and more uh, of your AMA models in real time. Uh, Model Monitor will help report on how well the ML model is predicting outcomes by comparing that model prediction data to ground truth data. So now during the the training process, um, Amazon Debugger is going to play an important role here. Um, Debugger makes it really easy to maintain and train the ML models faster by capturing real-time metrics, uh, such as as learning uh, gradients and weights, providing transparency into the training process. Um, There are built-in techniques called rules to easily analyze uh, emitted data, including sensors that are critical for the success of the training jobs. Um, such as identifying why your ML model is predicting a bright traffic signal, as an example, Um, even though the model was trained, um, even though the signal was actually a left signal and the model was trained with over 90% accuracy. So with new profiling capabilities, SageMaker Debugger now automatically monitors system resources, such as CPU, uh, the GPU, network, IO, and memory, providing a complete resource utilization view of all your training jobs. You can also profile the entire training job or just portions of the job. Uh, to mint detailed framework metrics during different phases of that training job. So, Palavi, actually, you know, looking up the notes here, you know, the next one we want to talk about is a little bit about, you know, debugger. And I think before we jump into that, I think really you have to understand, you know, there's there's the training phase, right? And then, you know, once you've completed that training phase, you're going to move on to the next part afterwards. you are actually debugging the model and understanding that better. Now, you know, since it's not storage um, and that's my expertise and we were, you know, we're talking about debugging a disk, I, I could easily cover that stuff. <laughs> Can you help me a little bit understand here? Because I I, I want to wrap my head around this, but why is it important that we spend time actually debugging the model?
0: Yep. So I'll tell you what happens typically, right? You know, before the debugger was even introduced, that you will start training your model, right? The model, uh, typically it takes, you have large data set, it takes a long time for uh, you to train the model. Now, without understanding uh, how well the model is being trained, you will typically uh, let that entire process complete, and at the end of the process, just to realize, well, um, the model accuracy is low because either you had some sort of class imbalance in your data set, or uh, uh, maybe the data set was overfitting, etc. So these are the things that you, will, uh, you would typically know only after the training job was complete. Now what, and that's where uh, uh, Debugger plays an important role. So what Debugger does is uh, when the models are being trained, it is going to capture certain real time metrics such as what's the learning gradients or what sort of weights are being applied and that gives you some uh, sense of transparency into um, uh, into the learning process now with debugger uh, you can even when the while the model is being trained you can analyze the information that debugger saves you can analyze that in real time and often say that you know you can apply emergency break to the training model so for example if, if you you can figure out that you know that it's the data set is not right there is some sort of imbalance that is introduced in the data set or uh, maybe the you're not going to get right results by uh, training this model in those cases you can apply certain rules And say that, okay, stop the training process and do not move forward. And I really feel that, uh, A, it gains an advantage in uh, training your models uh, the faster, as well as it saves a lot of time and money. Uh, in terms of either uh, people's time, as well as even the compute resources that you're spending.
1: It's the whole point of iterating faster, right? That, that's the idea, right? Is rather than trying to boil the ocean from the beginning and try to figure out, you know, the, that perfect model and, you know, the, your perfect features and everything's sort of perfect, you just kind of start off and you iterate over time, right? And that's, that's what you're, I think that's what I'm getting out of this is using that debugging, you can understand, okay, hey, I'm not doing the right thing here, or my data is not correct, or something's not correct in my model, and stop that, like you said, those emergency breaks, uh, potentially before you've you know wasted, you know, sometimes a day or two or hours, maybe, uh, on that model, um, and just yeah. continue reiterating on that.
0: So especially if it is a large data set, it can take hours to train the model. So if you, the better you know that you're not going in the right direction, you can stop, course correct, and then restart the process again. So Debugger has been existing for a little while now, but then what we have recently uh, introduced with uh, the reInvent announcement is now we uh, uh, we have uh, a we are capturing additional uh, metrics. So what we're doing is we have added a new profiling capabilities. So now debugger automatically monitors system resources such as um, uh, GPUs, CPUs, what sort of network IO is occurring or memory and providing a complete resource utilization view of the training job. So that really helps. It gives you a full picture uh when uh with respect to your training job it's just additional aspect of basically monitoring your training job gaining the necessary efficiency
1: yeah so you have a full picture now right you see the the actual model data and how the, the model is performing and you see how the actual underlying sort of resources and utilization is performing so you can have a full sort of picture of your entire model uh, that's, that's very exciting there. So now while we're in the model training phase, I, I wanna highlight another announcement uh, Another announcement about distributed training. Uh, we have introduced a new distributed training libraries that provide integrated methods for you to quickly train large deep training models. Um, using partitioning algorithms, the training libraries automatically split large deep learning models and training data sets across GPU instances in a fraction of the time you used to take um, and if you do it manually. Um, under the hood, what's going on here? Uh, SageMaker is using uh, model parallelism uh, and something called data parallelism techniques. Um, Pallavi, can you help me out here? Um, Can we double click on, on what these techniques actually mean?
0: Yeah, sure. So let's talk about the model parallelism first. So when you train a deep learning model, there are a number of ways you will try to improve the model accuracy. Now, one of the way to go about that is to increase the deep learning model size. Now, but then there is a limit to the uh, max model size that you can fit into a single GPU. And that's where, you know, there is a lot of times there's a challenge and it it is a time consuming process. So when training deep learning models, the GPU limitations also, the memory limitations also can be a huge bottleneck. So that's where uh, the model parallelism can help you. So the idea is to distribute and train your model on multiple computing devices. Model parallelism splits models uh, that are too large, they can't fit into a single GPU instance into smaller parts before um, distributing across multiple GPUs to train. Now, similar concept is with the data parallelism as well. So where it splits the large data set uh, to train concurrently in order to improve training speed. Now, this is specifically useful for um, use cases such as if when you're training on, uh, let's say, large data set for image classification, or even in the text-to-speech use cases, these use cases typically have large computational requirements. And for those uh, uh, using distributed training is a, a great feature.
1: Yeah, th- thanks for sharing that, Pallavi. So that's pretty awesome stuff. And I, and I think customers will really, you know, dive into that and will, will benefit from that parallelism because it's something that it's, it's hard to do on your own. Um, and that's what we're always trying mm-hmm. to do, where we're trying to make it easier for customers. Um, so I can really see how SageMaker has these features that they support every step of the machine learning process. Um, but let's let's talk about the machine learning process a little more, because I think it's really important to understand this, right? You, you train the models, you have them trained, um, and then the next step is to deploy these models and monitor their performance, right? You, you have to monitor the performance. You can't just deploy things and, mm-hmm. you know, set it, forget it. It doesn't work like that, right? Um, so you, model the, you, you monitor that performance. Uh, we touched earlier upon uh, SageMaker Clarify earlier, um, and we talked about how we can use Clarify to detect the bias uh, while data prep and training. But we have further integrated Clarify with model monitor as well. Can you talk about a little more, palavi
0: Yeah, sure. First of all, Amazon SageMaker model monitor currently supports um, detecting data quality drift. And the way we do that under the hood is by tracking the difference between the data that we use to train that particular model. And we then what we do is we capture uh, the data that is seen by the real-time endpoints, right? And then we are going to compare the statistical nature of these two datasets. Now, if we see it, if there is any difference, then we alert you of the deviations so that you can take a timely action. And that you could do it by either adjusting the data or you can retrain your models. And this is something that happens because if you have a, a model deployed for a long, a longer amount of time, longer period of time, the data set that model is going to see can change over time, and you want to make sure that you're uh, able to see that, uh, you're able to monitor it. So apart from monitoring the data quality, now we have introduced three more capabilities. So with model monitor, now you can detect drift in the model quality, bias, and as well as in feature importance. So, Palavi,
1: I'm going to jump in. I want to indulge you here because I know this This is like, you know, what storage is for me. This is, this is you know, SageMaker is, you know, your baby, and you love... You love this stuff, right? So I, I want to indulge you a little bit. Can you, can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Why, why are you so excited about that?
0: Yeah. So and uh, see, the th- typically, what happens is, first of all, machine learning process. And I keep saying that, uh, you know, it's a very complex process. You spend huge amount of time, first of all, curating your data set, training the model, and then deploying it. So you want to make sure that uh, the quality of the model or the inference that you're getting is um is accurate enough. Now, depending on the type of the model or the machine typical machine learning problem you are going to solve, and that's what we want to monitor and see whether this is in in alignment with what the model that we initially trained on. So in order to do do this, especially when we talk about model quality, we want to make sure that it, first of all, it follows the same path as what your uh, data quality drift is, right? So the idea is to capture uh, inference input and output from a real-time inference endpoint and then store that in the uh, store that data in Amazon S3, which is our simple storage service. Now, uh, then you run a baseline job, basically, that compares um, the predictions from the model with the trained data set to baseline that. And then you can establish certain thresholds against which you will uh, keep on evaluating the model, whether it is performing against those thresholds or it is. Um, it is uh, you, you will see the difference. Just wanted to touch upon an example. So once the models are deployed in production over time, you know the importance and the impact of certain features of that particular model can also change. And model explainability um, a monitoring will help you understand and interpret what that uh, predictions made by your machine learning models, where they're based on the same feature or now the same proportions. So um, similarly, uh, you know, for bias monitoring as well the model monitor will periodically determine uh, whether the bias metrics drift into levels that are statist- that statistically exceed the preset thresholds so the idea is once the models are deployed in production the distribution of the data that the deployed model sees can be different from the data set the model was trained on. And that's what we are going to, that's what we want to monitor and capture because you want to be in proactive mode rather than reactive so that you can take the necessary actions against it.
1: Yeah, you always want to be in that proactive mode. So you said something before, model explainability, right? That sounds like something that that I do when I when I learn about machine learning, and I come to you and I ask you to to explain that model to me. But <laughs> but I gotta think that that means something else. That the model explainability is something else. You know, can you can you explain to that what that is?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's something very similar around that fact. So it's going to be basically, uh, you want to understand why that particular the uh, the way the model gave an inference. So For example, let's say you're measuring the risk for uh, uh, whether that customer is going to default on the loan or no, right? Yeah. So in that case, there are a bunch of uh, features that we will uh, evaluate to come to that decision. So the model explainability is going to, to give you the result that you know on based on certain criteria, which were the important factor and how that inference was generated. So it's, a, it's, it's actually in regulated industry, this is a huge um, advantage to even have the ability to get the results explained.
1: Interesting. Thank, oh, thanks for sharing that. Okay, so we, we went through a lot of SageMaker updates. Right? We, we, we've seen how SageMaker has different features, uh, different capabilities across every machine learning process, um, right? So the next step is, is how to actually streamline this end-to-end workflow. Um, you know, can you share some options there?
0: Yeah, so there are a lot of options that are available. Actually, we do have some third-party tools also. I mean, there is Airflow, which is quite popular as well. Typically, what happens is, um, I mean, once you run the model in production, you you want to streamline the process. You want to, uh, and something very similar to the traditional software development, where you have your CI/CD pipelines, right? Uh, but in machine learning, the CI/CD Style tools are rarely used because of where they exist, how do you stitch them together? So that's it's 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 a little complex process. It's hard to set up, configure, and even managing those tools is is can be a challenge. And in order to address this, now we have introduced SageMaker Pipeline. So this is the first purpose-built um, machine learning CI/CD service that helps you create an automated machine learning workflow. Uh, to get started, what we have done is we have provided you some sample templates uh, that focus on based on what how you are using SageMaker, whether you're using SageMaker only to deploy the model, or you're using it to you know build, train, and deploy the model. Based on that, you can choose a sample template and then you can be, uh, get started. So with few lines of code using SDK, you can actually uh, just automate the entire workflow. And then we have a SageMaker Studio with that you can actually visualize uh, and manage that uh, the workflow so earlier this is primarily efficiency gain and streamlining the processes so it could actually take months to get this established or even let's say model retrained and deployed in production now that time uh, has reduced greatly you can have that um, going in a matter of days and there's another advantage i know especially for the customers who are listening who have certain regulation requirements or compliance requirements um Tracking the lineage for each step in your machine learning process is an important step. So that's where, in order to meet your governance and audit requirements, SageMaker um, pipeline can really help you there.
1: Sounds like cool, cool stuff there. So we, we, we went through a lot of SageMaker features. Uh, I, I know you geeked out a lot here. So why don't you take a break, take a cup of water. Uh, I'll wrap up the the last two. Uh, give yourself a little bit of breath there. So, uh, SageMaker JumpStarts is, is another one here, right? So that's going to help you easily and quickly bring machine learning applications to market uh, using pre-built solutions for common use cases. Uh, these are pre-built solutions or, are quite common use cases uh, such as fraud detection, predictive maintenance, demand forecasting, and, and many others. Uh, you can deploy them with a couple of clicks in the console. Uh, the solutions are fully customizable. They, they showcase the use of AWS CloudFormation templates. Um, and reference architecture so that you can accelerate your machine learning journey. For those of you just getting started with machine learning, I would certainly encourage you to take a look at these jumpstart solutions. Uh, these are supported by in-depth documentation. There's even video tutorials, blog posts out there. So go ahead and take these solutions out for a test drive. So now there's another area where uh, we see, we're seeing rapid ML adoption, and this is uh, machine learning at the edge. More and more applications such as industrial robots, autonomous vehicles, automated checkouts require models that run on smart cameras, robots, equipment, and more. Operating those machine learning models at the edge um, devices is, is a challenge because of limited compute sometimes, you have limited memory, and then connectivity, right? You don't know if you have internet connectivity there at all sometimes. Moreover, sometimes you're running multiple models on a single device. Um, it, it takes months, months of hand-tuning each model to optimize the performance for that device, right? And then if that device changes, you have to optimize it again. So now we have uh, something called SageMaker Neo. Uh, SageMaker Neo is going to help make it easier for you to deploy these models on the edge devices. Uh, While Neo addressed the uh, model deployment for a single model, you still have to deal with managing models across uh, fleets of of edge devices and also build mechanisms to monitor performance and accuracy on those edge devices. So to solve this problem, we have introduced uh, SageMaker Edge Manager, Edge Manager provides model management for edge devices, so you can prepare, run, monitor, and update those machine learning models across uh, the fleet of all those edge devices. It'll also help you optimize models to run faster on those target devices, um, and provide model management for edge devices. Uh, it'll help you prepare, studio run, studio and monitor those NGS SSO, also help you um, and log deployed machine learning models, past the console fleet. Um, the you can improve your security posture by an R Python scholar or pi- uploading prediction data from devices to SageMaker. Uh, for monitoring and analysis, Juniper and you can well. view a dashboard um, as you have access to tools like the Spark UI on the operation uh, and uh, of the deployed models with the Amazon SageMaker There's console. One more annu- this really goes hand in hand, I think, with uh, the so
0: progress, uh, Amazon uh, EMR now gives so you an option in to the, deploy uh, previous, on Amazon. Uh,
1: episode KKs. 80. So EKS I highly suggest a, if you if you haven't done, dove into that one, go um, back So E. M. R. on
0: E. K. S. Will schedule
1: containers, edge and, and resources and IoT
0: edge onto uh, your E. K. S. cluster. So we talked
1: length about SageMaker uh, 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 Studio. We talked a lot length I mean, about SageMaker features. EKS, you, can
0: certainly, um, you, you can run your jobs in uh, even Fargate opens up as an option to run. There
1: is E. M. R. Studio, right? That is currently in public preview. Similar to SageMaker Studio. So and using
0: that this combination, basically, you can create workflows with amazon managed workflows for apache airflow um and uh, that's uh, i know there are a lot of customers you know who have been using apache airflow so that's uh, certainly an advantage there
1: yeah i know some customers might be wondering you know why would you want to run EMR you know on your eks clusters as opposed to running them on ec2 or running them in, you know other other options you know i think it's really about where your data is and then trying to bring that EMR closer to your data and that's that's ultimately you know what we're trying to enable here right is you run EMR where you want to run it and, and get that mm-hmm. the results of that data. All right, let's jump to QuickSight. We have, we have one around QuickSight Q. Uh, it's a machine learning powered capability that uses natural language processing to answer your business questions instantly. So Q is optimized to understand common business language, uh, including phrases related to sales, uh, marketing and retail. If you haven't used QuickSight before, QuickSight is, is a visual dashboard uh, allowing you to visualize your data. And so now Q gives you that ability to to understand that data, but with natural language. So as an example, I'd like to share, you know, sometimes we ask, you know, what is the highest revenue of a particular product, right? A customer might ask, you know, what's the best selling categories in Pennsylvania? Uh, Q will understand that best selling means highest revenue, um, and it will return the top ranked categories in Pennsylvania by revenue. Q has a built in dictionary as well. Uh, that'll provide you autocomplete suggestions, uh, can perform spell checks. It might suggest acronyms as well, or even synonyms that might be related to your business use cases and your business vocabulary. Also, if Q gets an answer wrong, uh, you can provide feedback to Q to help correct the answer for the future.
0: So apart from machine learning practitioners and data scientists, uh, there are database developers and data analysts who work with data constantly, and they want to leverage this data to train machine learning models so they can generate some additional insights from this new data. They find it too difficult and involved to extract meaningful insights from this uh, data that they have gathered. So while they're uh, SQL experts, they may not know Python, and they're uh, reliant on data scientists to build these models. So in order to bring machine learning to this group, Uh, We are bringing SageMaker and other ML services directly into the the tool that this group uses every day. We have introduced Aurora ML, which is Aurora Machine Learning, uh, Athena ML feature, Neptune ML features, and Redshift ML features. So the idea is to add machine learning-based predictions to applications via familiar SQL programming language. And this is helpful because now you don't need to separate tools or you don't need to have any prior machine learning experience.
1: Uh, so now we, now we don't have time, unfortunately, to dig deeper into each of these individually. But how about an example?
0: Uh, sure. So let's take an example of Redshift ML, right? And how this will work with Redshift uh, machine learning. So to create a machine learning model, you can use a simple SQL query to specify the data in Amazon Redshift that will be input to your machine learning model and the output that you want to predict. So for example, predicting customer churn is a very common use case. So let's say you query customer information and related historical data about past purchases from multiple tables as input. And you also have a column that shows the output that you want to predict, such as whether the customer is active or not. When you run your when you run the SQL command to create the model, Amazon Redshift ML securely exports the specified data from Redshift to S3 and then calls Amazon SageMaker Autopilot to automatically prepare the data. Then it also selects the appropriate pre built algorithm that SageMaker supports and then apply the algorithm for model training. So this entire process is completely taken care by Amazon Redshift ML. And you don't have to um, have integration patterns established. Redshift ML is basically going to abstract all these steps involved in training and compilation. Now, after the model is trained, then Redshift ML Makes it available as a SQL function. The queries that you write using SQL tool, and it is available in the Redshift data warehouse. So that's how this machine learning feature will work.
1: Uh, thank you, Vala. That's, that's, that's really awesome to hear. Right. So we want to really encourage users, right? You know, customers. I encourage you to go out there, right? Visit the specific features of, you know, the individual services that we talked about. You know, Neptune ML, uh, Aurora ML, Redshift ML. Right, go look up those specifics. Try, you know, try to understand the use cases that are there, um, and we'll certainly dive more into these in the future. All right, it, it's been a long episode today, so I think you know. Let's let's jump. Let's close this one out. We we we've been uh, we've been at this for for a long time today, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's been really enjoy having you. here. So we covered a lot of things today, right? We covered a lot of SageMaker. Uh, hold on, Palavi, I'll let you get to those. I saved those uh, wrap ups for you. <laughs> uh, we talked about Kendra, EMR, QuickSight, uh, and then a whole bunch of new services as well. So in HealthLake, right, we talked about you know using HealthLake to make sense of that health data. Uh, Kendra has a new connector library, uh, and also adds a Google Drive connector. And in addition, there's incremental learning uh, in Kendra and custom synonyms.
0: Right, and then uh, just to um, summarize the other few services that we looked at, so we introduced AWS Panorama for computer vision at the edge. Then uh, we do have in SageMaker, we covered a lot of features. Uh, but primarily from the perspective that we talked about uh, Data Wrangler and how you can use that in your data preparation, as well as we saw where you should use Glue Data Brew versus you should use uh, SageMaker Data Wrangler. Then um, we talked about how SageMaker Feature Store can help you standardize and make the features available for easy lookup and searching, as well as for bias detection, we talked about SageMaker Clarify, Additionally, we did talk about from training perspective. We, do- we talked about distributed training as well as debugger, how it helps in the training process. And then um, uh, from the once you deploy the model, uh, and from model monitoring perspective, we did talk about model monitor and how you can detect drifts in model quality uh, or model bias and feature importance. And last but not the least, um, of course, uh, the SageMaker pipeline, which will help you uh, streamline and automate the, your machine learning workflow, as well as you can use a SageMaker Jumpstart to basically just get started with your ML journey since it offers the um, uh, templates for most common use cases.
1: Uh, then we talked about uh, EMR Studio. Uh, is It's the IDE uh, for applications written in R, Python, Scala, or PySpark, and Juniper Notebooks. Uh, EMR now gives you the option to deploy it on Amazon EKS. Uh, and then QuickSight Q, uh, ask natural language questions about your data and get answers in seconds.
0: Right. And then we covered even the uh, Redshift ML, Athena ML or Aurora ML and these are primarily the the features that will help database developers and data analysts to bring machine learning closer to their tools.
1: I'm gonna call this one a wrap and close this out. Uh, This brings (laughs) us to the close uh, of our four-part reInvent series. It's been a blast, I really thank our listeners for sticking by uh, episodes 78 through this one 81. And Pallavi, a, a huge and big thank you to you for joining us today. Uh, and helping us close out this series I think with a, a giant bang here I think uh, you did an awesome job uh, your depth, your expertise uh, really shined um, and it has been really a blast to explore ML and, and everything else today with you uh, and I'm sure we're not done geeking out over ML stuff so thanks for thanks for coming
0: Thanks for having me Shai I enjoyed this podcast very much <laughs>
1: <laughs> Remember listeners uh, feedback is always welcome uh, Chat at amazon.com but until next time, bye for now Signing off, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting awstechchat.com.